0: It's good to see all of our young people up here with Lads to Leaders and the participation? Um, some of them very, very engaged, and that's, that's very exciting. So um, thank you to all of you who uh, helped and put in hard work and uh, helped to train and teach our young people, and hopefully that'll continue to grow, um, grow every year. Lads to Leaders. I never was involved with Lads to Leaders. I did sing at a Lads to Leaders convention years ago. Um, when I was traveling, uh, we sang. Um, a lot of the churches where we have been a part of uh, do leadership training for Christ, much the same, actually, an offshoot of Lads to Leaders. We're, we're used to offshoots in our, in our tribe at times. So uh, anyway, glad that, that that has happened, and uh, we've recognized them this morning, and we'll look to grow that even more next year. Some 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on a cross. He was buried, and then on the third day, he was raised to life. When they went to the tomb, as we saw over the last couple of weeks, the tomb was empty because he was not there any longer. And because of that resurrection, the power of his rising, that gives us hope for a new life, a new beginning for an eternity with Jesus. But what happened next? What happened after that? This morning, let's discover some things that Jesus did after his resurrection and what they mean to us today. I'm going to read from the book of Acts here as we begin. If you want to turn your Bibles there, Acts chapter 1. Sometimes I think we just tend to forget what happened after the resurrection in those first few days. Acts chapter 1, beginning of verse 3. This is the word of the Lord. After his suffering, he showed himself, this is Jesus, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Jesus was always talking about the kingdom. As I mentioned Wednesday, I'm going to start a series of lessons on the kingdom. I'm not sure exactly when that's going to begin, but here shortly. But Jesus spent 40 days on earth, after his resurrection. There's something, there's something special about that number 40 in the Bible. We see it time and time again. What was Jesus doing during these 40 days? Well, he eased the doubts of his disciples. He gave, as we just read, many convincing proofs that he was alive. And then he gave direction for his followers, for their future. Jesus didn't just yell down from heaven. He didn't just uh, rise from the dead, go back to his father, and then yell back down to his disciples, you know, some directions, and hang hang in there, guys. It's going to be okay. No, he stayed with them. He lived with them. I could only imagine as I was thinking about Jesus rising and remaining on the earth for 40 days. Don't you know? that he was so ready to ascend back to the Father? Don't you know that he was so anxious to get back onto the throne of the universe where he had left all those years ago? Don't you know that he wanted to be back in the presence of his Father, where he had been for all eternity, but yet he stayed for 40 days, encouraging, loving, giving direction comforting. And He does the same thing for us today. Jesus is still near. In fact, His Spirit is with us this morning, ready to hear our cries and to heal our broken hearts. So Jesus showed up. But I also want you to to see that Jesus demonstrated community. He modeled community, if you will. We see Jesus making time for relationships. Look over in the book of Luke. I love this. I love this text. I love this passage. Here in Luke chapter 24, Jesus has been resurrected from the dead The women came to the tomb, as we saw last week, to anoint his body with spices, but he was not there. Let's pick up in verse 13 of Luke chapter 24. The word of the Lord says this, Now that same day, two of them, two disciples, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. I I, I don't know what happened. I I can't explain it, but they they weren't able to recognize Jesus, either some supernatural way that Jesus was, was hiding himself uh, didn't make himself plainly known to them. I, I, I don't know exactly how, but they didn't recognize that this was Jesus. And so he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? We might say, man, where have you been? Have you been hiding under a rock? I mean, don't you know what's happened? I mean, word is, is all over the place. Don't you, are, did you just show up here? Are you only a visitor that you don't have a clue about what's happened here? Jesus asked them, what, what things that's just, those are just sad words to me when I, when I hear that. But we had hoped. There was so much hope in Jesus. You know, false messiahs come along from time to time. Someone says that he's the Christ, and it proves to be false. But we had hoped that this Jesus, that this man, I mean, the things he talked about. When he spoke, he, he spoke as one who has authority, Not like the teachers of the law. Not like the Pharisees. When Jesus taught, it's like he had authority. And the miracles. What about the miracles? I mean, he he did that. We saw a blind man receive sight and crippled people stand up and walk. He even raised the dead. We had hoped. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more... It is the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and they told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken! Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter His glory? Here's a guy that he doesn't have a clue what's going on. Apparently, to to their um, to their way of thinking, this guy doesn't know what's happening. And so they tell him all this about Jesus of Nazareth. He was turned over. He was crucified. But we had hoped that he was the one. And then Jesus says, are you so foolish? Do you not know that the Christ had to suffer? That these things had to happen? You almost can see them, you know, thinking, what, who is this guy? Why, why is he saying these things? And then notice this. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Oh, to have been there. Oh, to have been a fly on the wall. I guess there were no walls. They were walking on the road to Emmaus. Oh, to have been a fly on a toga and to have heard all that Jesus said. He goes back with Moses, and he begins to explain. Uh, Doyle gave me a book recently about seeing Jesus in every book of the Bible. When we read the Old Testament, if you don't see Jesus, you're not not looking closely enough. Jesus is all over it. Everything is about Jesus. You understand that? From the beginning of of Genesis, I want to say generations to revolutions. For From the beginning of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation, everything is about Jesus. It's all about him. It's about his coming. It's about ushering in the Messiah, God choosing a people, the Jews, through which uh, he would bless all nations. So everything is about Jesus. And so Jesus goes back to Moses, and he begins to explain how all of these things were said about the Christ. Oh, man, how many sermons could you preach if you had been there? I guess we can go back and read the Old Testament and find out what Jesus said. It's it's all there. But as they approach the village, I'm in verse 28 to which they were going. Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. I, I, I love this. They don't know that this is Jesus. This is a stranger to them. They meet him on the road to Emmaus. He walks with them. He talks with them. He explains these things. And then the evening falls, and they invite him to stay with them. Isn't that beautiful? I love this this idea of community, of relationship. When he was at the table with them, he took bread. He gave thanks. He broke it, and he began to give it to them. Does that sound vaguely familiar to you? That's something that Jesus has done in the past with his disciples. Look at verse 31. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us? while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Were not our hearts burning with us? They weren't burning because they were with Jesus. They didn't even know that it was Jesus. But as he was talking with them, as he went back with Moses and began to explain all that the scriptures were relating uh, about the the Messiah and how the Christ would have to suffer and die and rise again, their hearts were just burning inside of them. There's something about the word of God. There's something about when the spirit of God and the word of God meet up together and it, and it touches your heart and it convicts you. There's a powerful yearning. There's a burning inside of you. And that's what these two on the road to Emmaus had experienced. What did they do? They got up and they returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And then the two told what had happened to them on the way and how Jesus was recognized them when he broke the bread. I just love this idea of relationship, of community. And that's what Jesus did when he came back. He demonstrated and modeled community to them. Let's, let's look over at John 21 real quickly. Maybe we won't have time to read all of this, but the disciples uh, have gone back to fishing. You know, everything is over. Jesus has died. Uh, we had hoped that he was the one, but he's obviously not because he's dead. They've gone back to fishing. Verse, I'm in John 21, verse 4. This is the word of the Lord. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. These guys are professional fishermen. You understand. Jesus had called. When Jesus called them, they were fishing, right? They left their nets and they followed him. And now some three years later, Jesus is gone. And what do they do? They go back to what they know. They go back to fishing. Have you caught any fish? No. Well, Throw your nets on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, this is John, he said to Peter, It is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. Does that seem backwards to you? Seems like you, you, you shed clothes when you jump in the water. Peter takes his outer garment and puts it back on, and then he jumps into the water. I just find that interesting. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net. They can't even get the net in the boat. They're just towing the net behind the boat. They were about 100 yards from shore. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of of fish, large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Maybe four of the sweetest words in the English language. Come and have breakfast. (laughs) I just love it when my mama used to say that. Come and have breakfast. All things are ready. Come and eat. Jesus is modeling community to them. So often in community, we share a meal together, we eat together, we spend time in fellowship around the table. And that's what Jesus does with his disciples during these 40 days. Jesus was never too busy to stop and to show that he cared. And as his followers, we are called with Lord, listen to me, we are called to intentionally live and serve the people in our families, workplaces, and communities. Isn't that what you told us a couple of weeks ago? To live intentionally to do that. Notice next, I want you to see that Jesus comforted the broken. He wasn't frustrated that his disciples hadn't understood everything. I mean, there were times in his ministry when Jesus would share something or he would teach in a parable, and his disciples would kind of come to him and say, what does this mean? We don't get it. Don't understand. And he would th- he would think to himself, Oh, are you so slow? Are you so thick-headed that you don't understand it? How are you going to understand these other things if you don't get this? Surely he was frustrated with them. But ne- but-, but after his resurrection, I don't see the- I don't see any frustration. He met them in their doubts and in their fears. He consoled Mary at the tomb. He eased Thomas' doubts. When Thomas wasn't there, he spoke words of life and peace to them. And today, Jesus still extends grace for our questions and our confusion. Do you know that, that Jesus can handle your doubts? We all have doubts at times. As a preacher of the word of God, I'll admit to you that there are some some nights, not very many and not very often, but I've had nights when I lie awake in bed, maybe awake in the in the middle of the morning and thoughts run through my head and I and I and I think things like is all of this true? Is this is this Bible stuff really true? I'm going to get up and preach Sunday. Is all of this stuff true? Have you guys ever thought that? Am I the only one? And I admit to you, as a preacher of the Word of God, I, sometimes those thoughts cross my mind. And so I go back and I dive in and I begin to think, well, what's the alternative to this? And every time I come back to the truth that Jesus is the Christ, that the tomb was empty, there's no other way I can explain it. And if that's true, then everything that Jesus says is true. And then I can put all of my weight down on it again. But if we're honest, we all have doubts. And Jesus is okay with that. He can handle it. His shoulders are broad and he's strong. I want you to know that Jesus forgave mistakes. Jesus, if you will, he redeemed mistakes. Before the crucifixion, you remember that Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus told him that that he would, and he said, no, I I won't. I will never deny you. In fact, there were times he said, I will die for you. I will die with you. But just as Jesus said, the rooster crowed, and he had denied him three times. Let's continue reading there in John chapter 21. Look at verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Now, what I want to point out to you, some of you already know this, but maybe, maybe this is news to you. The first two times that Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? There in verses 15 and 16, he uses the word agape. Now, the Greek language is a very precise language. They have um, different words that they use for different kinds of love. You and I just say love, and every time we read the text here, it just says love. But if you love your wife or you love your children and you love ice cream, those are two different things, right? But we just throw that word around, you know, all the time. Jesus asks Peter, do you agape me? Agape we would think of as, as love that's, that's the love in the highest sense that you, that you want what is best for the person in every situation Agape love. And Jesus asked Peter, do you agape me? When Peter replies, Lord, I love you, he doesn't say agape. He uses the word phileo. Phileo, it's, it's we, uh, the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Adophos um, is the Greek word for brother. So phileo and brotherly love. So he's saying that I have an affection for you, a familial affection for you. Is that what Jesus asked him? Jesus said, do you agape me? And he said, Lord, I phileo you. So he asks him a second time, Peter, do you love me? Do you agape me? And Peter says, Lord, I phileo. I have this affection for you. And so the third time when Jesus says, do you love me, Jesus uses the word phileo. Almost as if he's saying, Peter, do you even like me? Do you even like me? I've asked you, do you agape me? And you're saying you phileo me. Now I'm saying, do you even phileo me? Do you even have this Familial, brotherly type of love for me. And that's why Peter was so saddened. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him this time, Do you even like me, Peter? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I do. I do love you. And Jesus said, Feed my sheep. History would tell us that Peter was crucified just like Jesus was. And yet he, he said, I do not deserve to die in the same way that my Lord died. And he asked that his cross be turned upside down. That's what history would tell us, that Peter died crucified but upside down. Someone led him out to a place that he did not want to go. Even though Peter stumbled in his faith, listen, even though Peter stumbled in his faith, Jesus did not cancel him. We live in, in a world and a time and a society when everybody wants to cancel everybody. You say something wrong, you make one little, sl- it doesn't matter if you've had 20, 30, 50 years of a history, you make one mistake, people want to cancel you. I don't want any more him, I don't want any more her. But that's not what Jesus did with Peter. And that's not what Jesus does with you or with me. We doubt, we're confused, we fall, we make mistakes. Jesus doesn't cancel us. He picks us up. He dusts us off. He loves us. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus' His son continually cleanses us of all sin. That's 1 John chapter 1. Lastly, this morning, Jesus gave instructions and he empowered. Real quickly, think about about the, um, the end of the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus gives the Great Commission. We talk about the Great Commission. He says, therefore, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's what Jesus says. I've got all authority. My Father has given me all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, since I have all authority, this is what I'm telling you. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples of every nation. Tell them this good news. Tell them that I am the Christ, that I lived, that I died, and that I was raised. And because of that, they can have hope, new life, eternal life in me. Go tell them and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he says, I will be with you. I'll be with you. We began in the book of Acts. If you'll go back there just very quickly. Acts chapter 1. Before Jesus ascended, this is what he told them. Acts 1 and verse 4. On one occasion while he was eating with them. These guys like to eat a lot, don't they? (laughs) I mean, that's what our small group's all about. We like to get together and eat. We're going to do that this evening. I hope y'all are going to. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And we saw that happen when they were in the upper room and the, the Holy Spirit came down and it, it rested on them like tongues of fire. And it, it, it enabled them to, to speak in other languages for the purpose of telling people the good news so that they could hear the gospel in their own language. They were baptized with the Holy Spirit. God is not ever going to call you to do something without equipping you. God is going to give you the right tools to accomplish the task. So Jesus gives them instructions to go, to baptize, to preach, and he says, I'm going to be with you, and you're also going to have the Holy Spirit. When they receive the Holy Spirit, it seems as if everything changed all the things they didn't understand, all of a sudden they began, it began to make sense. That's what he meant. That's what he was talking about. Now I get it. Jesus is never going to call us to do something without empowering us to be able to do it. It was true for them, and it was true, it's true for us. With those instructions... We, too, are called to live every day with intentionality, always looking for opportunities to share the gospel. It's our job to know the Savior and then to make him known to the world around us. I love that Jesus, again, it seems to me that once he was risen from the dead, and he appeared to some of his disciples, I'd be like, man, I'm ready to get back home. <laughs> I've been gone too long. I'm ready to see the Father, the Father that I have been with throughout all eternity. That, that's, that's what, in my little mind, that's what I think. Man, I'm ready to go home. But Jesus hung around for 40 days, 40 more days, encouraging, loving, loving, casting out fears and doubts, proving that he was alive, that he was who he said he was, and then giving them their marching orders, the instructions, and then giving them the Holy Spirit with which they were able to accomplish that. And accomplish it, they did. You look at the ragtag group of people that that Jesus chose to be disciples, and you just think, how in the world, how in the world? Was God going to accomplish anything with those guys? But there was no plan B. There was no plan B. Just like when Jesus prayed in the garden, God, if there's any way, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. But yet not my will be done, but yours be done. Guess what? There was no other way. And Jesus knew that. But as a man clothed in flesh, he didn't want to be beaten and spit upon and abused and and crucified if there's any other way let this pass but there was no other way there was no plan b it was jesus all along and just like with those disciples he hung around for 40 days because (laughs) there's no plan b these these guys are going to have to get it done if it's going to be done it's going to be because of these 11 and and the 120 and these band of followers that had followed him and guess what You and I are here today because they took took it seriously. They lived intentionally. They got up every morning. They woke up with Jesus on their mind. We've been singing about that recently. I woke up this morning with my mind on Jesus. That's the way the early disciples were, and that's the way we need to be, intentional living, telling people around us the good news. I know you know it. But sometimes we stumble, sometimes we have doubts, sometimes we're confused, and sometimes we just need to lay that before the Lord. Let our brothers and sisters pray with us and pray for us. I'll have an elder up here with me. We always have elders in the back as we sing our song. If you, if you just want to pray, if you just want to share something, please let us know that so that we can pray with you, pray for you. We don't do this very often, if ever, but sometimes sometimes. Somebody may just want to praise God for something. Lynn has done that before. She says, I have a praise report. Sometimes we just want to give thanks to God. Maybe you want to do that this morning. Let that be known. We can rejoice with you.